1: Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter.
2: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
0: is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God,
1: Hi, Brian. Hi, Katie. So, Dame Judi Dench, Sir Elton John, and a talk show host walk into a studio and sit down over drinks. It sounds like a setup to a joke, doesn't it? But it's actually a typical episode of The Graham Norton Show, the wildly popular British comedy chat show. But if anyone is listening in the U.K., of course, you know that. Our guest today is Graham Norton himself, and I am Really tickled pink about this. <laughs> Me too, but maybe I'm not pink. Anyway, <laughs> listeners, remember how we mentioned last episode that we had something special in store for you? Well, here is a big surprise, everyone. We're coming to you today from London. That's right. The pod took us across the pond. All we had to do was add an N. <laughs>
4: The fine folks over at the British Broadcasting Corporation invited us to record some podcast episodes on their home turf. And they didn't have to ask us twice. We're very excited to be here. This, by the way, won't be our only episode out of London in collaboration with the BBC. So be sure to stay tuned in the month ahead.
1: Now, listeners, we like analytics as much as the next podcast. And so we know that most of you are not British. Perhaps you're not familiar with Graham Norton or his TV show. Don't worry We're here to help you get acquainted.
4: So the first thing you should know is that the format of The Graham Norton Show is essentially an A-list cocktail party on camera. He invites several celebrities to sit down side by side, to chat and drink with one another, and they're not just there to promote their latest projects. They tell stories, they do impressions, even party tricks, and they feed on one another's energy.
1: The result is a rollicking good time. It's incredibly entertaining, but Graham is not just fun and games. He is also an acclaimed novelist an advice columnist for The Telegraph, something of a British icon. I'd just say he's just a plain old British icon, and frankly, a guy who knows how to have a good time. We began our conversation by asking him about the whole spirit of the show and what it's designed to do. Graham Norton, we are so excited, A, to be in London, and B, to be sitting here with you.
5: Well, vice versa. I mean, I live, I live in London, but
4: the sitting with you is exciting.
5: I'm yes. sure
1: it's equally exciting for him. So, so I, gosh, I have so many questions to ask you, Graham, and I know Brian does as well, but you've been doing your, what do they call it, a chat show over here we across it, the pond?
5: We call it a chat show. <laughs> for, for
1: a long time, but, but the, in its current incarnation for about 11 years, is that right? Do
5: you know, I don't even know, because I count from the beginning. I count from when we started at Channel 4 with a show called So Graham Norton, and that was 20 years ago this year. Wow. So in various Thank you. <laughs> and in various forms, I've been doing a chat slash talk show for that long. Um, and I di- genuinely, I still enjoy it. I didn't, you know, it's sort of extraordinary that, you know, that you would get a job and be doing it 20 years later and going, hey, it's a great job.
1: And And you do it once a week, every Friday night, you tape on Thursdays, and I read that you're goal is to make sure everybody has a fantastic time. You're not there to poke and prod people. That's our job, by the way, here today. <laughs> well, no, no, no. And, and, and I think that that's, the,
5: that's the difference. That's the difference, I think, between a kind of a news agenda and an entertainment agenda. I am not there to upset anybody. If people say, I don't want to talk about what, why would I care? I don't care who you're dating. I don't, you know, I don't, if you're sick of talking about that film, I'm not going to bring it up. Uh, you know, it's not my job to upset you. And... And also the audience for our show don't want to see that. They don't want to watch people be uncomfortable for 45 they minutes. They just want
1: to chillax yeah, and they enjoy. want it to be
5: fun. They want to watch some famous people on a couch having a good time. And that's what we try to provide.
4: And you think this relaxed setting actually yields more from the guests, right? That, like, if they're comfortable, they actually will say more about their lives and their backgrounds and all the rest. And
1: the audience will really get to know them, right? Well, that's
4: kind of what I think. I think people, if... If they're on guard, you know, these people, they're not stupid.
5: They've been around the block. They've been, if not, they've been media trained, but they've, you know, they know what they're doing. So they're not going to tell you anything they don't want to tell you. You know, it's, it's like asking OJ, did you do it? You know, he's not, that's just, it, there's no point. So, uh... If you watch people on the show, if you see the things that makes them laugh or how they react to a shocking story, how they react to an anecdote of something, it oddly is more of an insight into who they are and the sort of person they are than to just have them sat in a chair by themselves answering questions, you know, about their life or their career.
1: You use Ryan Gosling as an example when he laughed uproariously at some story that he heard on your show and kind of what that revealed about him, his sense of humor humor his kind of naturalness yes. his sensibility
5: and because uh, on and how sh-
1: cute he is <laughs> oh,
5: yeah that, that that we noticed already I, that was that was unquestionable uh. but but
4: because they're because they
5: because they share the couch the the guests um there's also really telling things about you know the ones who are interested in the other people on the couch right the ones that listen there are some guests and. Uh, they are, will remain nameless. Who Seriously, they'll remain nameless? Yes, they will. <laughs> and they, they'll sit there and I'll go, what What are they looking at? What are they looking at? And then I follow their gaze and they're looking at the monitor that's at the front of the little set for waiting for their close-up, waiting to see themselves.
1: And I know that your idea of a fantastic guest and I would like to say just in advance, I would be a fantastic guest <laughs> because, Graham, <laughs> I ask is a lot of that what this is all about? No, not not all, this is not my yeah. effort to book myself on your But I did read that you like when people. Ask other guests questions. Absolutely. And you don't mind if they kind of take the microphone from you and ask the guests a question no, and no, start the best, engaging. The best,
5: shows, the best shows are the ones where I sit in my chair and the couch takes on a life of its own and they're just talking to each other. And that's those are the nights that I enjoy the most. And I think the audience do too. Because it there is something sort of almost like I don't know, sort of privileged about kind of peering into this kind of celebrity dinner party that you would never normally be invited to. That
1: is it is like that dinner party where you you know, who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? Your guests happen to be alive. And basically which is a good you're thing. living that out Almost every day. Yeah, well, them, every week, right? Yeah, yes. and, and
5: some of them I wouldn't choose after dinner. But but.
1: <laughs> well, we're going to get to that in a moment. But actually, I wanted to tell you both a funny story to, uh, apropos of the asking a question. One time, I was on the Tonight Show when Jay Leno was hosting, and I I came out, and then there was a second guest, and I don't even remember his name, but he was a young kind of actor, and he was quite nervous, and his big thing is that he could cry on cue, as I would cry on yeah, demand or yeah. whatever. So I was sitting at, you know next to him, but at The Tonight Show, you don't kind of continue to engage. You just kind of laugh and chuckle, and you're sort of like a potted plant. But when he said this, I was waiting for Jay to say, okay, cry. Yeah. <laughs> and he never did. And it was it took all the strength I had to not say, mm, ask him to cry.
5: Because why would, why would you bring it up if you weren't going to do it? I don't it?
1: know. I think there must have been a miscommunication in the pre-interview. But anyway, so I, I like asking questions. <laughs> the guy but, who cries but, just said, I'll do anything you want except cry. Right? Yeah, exactly. yeah, that's ridiculous. And I'm just going to say that I can do it. But, yeah. you know, I was going to ask you about the chemistry, Graham, because your show, obviously, with three people on the couch, so much of it depends on chemistry and how the guests interact. Um, has there ever been a moment where the three, I mean, just— Did not seem to gel at all. There are,
5: oddly, there are some nights when all the guests are perfectly fine individually and there just is zero uh, chemistry the funniest times is when that happens is when they're all from the same movie sometimes we'll have three or four people from the same movie <laughs> and you're watching them thinking wow that was a long shoot none of, like this no bonding at all went on here um, clearly a lot of trailer time separate trailer time went on uh, whereas- but how do
1: you what do you do in that situation how do you get it kind of cranking you don't
5: you don't it's just not a very good show that's, really yeah, that's you know and that's yeah, and that's the nice thing about having these long runs you know you do a bad show, you go, eh, we'll try better another next, one next yeah, week. We'll yeah. do another one next week. How do
1: you prepare? You know, we obviously read a lot of articles about you. I know more about you than you probably <laughs> know about you at this point, Graham. But when you're doing a show like that, do you read up on these folks? Or
5: Well, I'm sure it was the same when you did, um, you know, the morning shows and your talk show. You know, there's a team. So uh, people will do, they do all the research. They then write quite chunky biogs. I mean, kind of, you know, 20, 30-page biogs, which I'll read. I read them on a Tuesday night. And then we go in on a Wednesday, and that's when we spend the day in the office together and we kind of choreograph the interviews. So obviously there's the core things we have to cover, the product. So it's a film, a book, an album, whatever they have. We've got to talk about those things. and We've got to get all that right. And we've got to talk about those things enough. So that you know, the people backstage are happy and right. the, and the guests are happy. The
1: handlers. Yeah.
5: And <laughs> then and then we try to find the other stories, the funny stories. And what you're looking for are moments where you can say, Oh, you had a, a funny story about your first pet and then you have a funny story about your first pet, and now we've got a so
1: the common threads. The, yeah. There's a, there's
5: a conversation going about on animals or so, whatever, yeah. But and, and those are the kind of things we try to find. We then kind of knit all that together in a in sort of a script, and then we do this bizarre thing. And I don't quite know how we started doing it, but when we get into the studio on a Thursday, we do a dress rehearsal, and the, oh really? Yeah, and the with the, the guests. No, the researchers play oh. the researchers oh, play how the funny. guests. Oh, funny! Yeah, and we do it, and they. Tell tell. tell the stories, and we do all this, and it gives you, you kind of, uh, it's only after that you kind of go, you know what, they didn't talk for, for like 20 minutes or that guest you know it was ages before I got to them or there's too much of them at the beginning or that interview seemed to go on too long and then we have another meeting we change things around and then we do the show
1: but how, but, but I imagine it's hard to replicate the real thing because you never know well, what so, they're going to say well no because
5: right? sometimes the guests are so much better than the researcher
1: right the I, really, I would the think
5: bad, so no, no the bad <laughs> ones are when the researcher told you stories and they're really funny and then the actual person tells their own stories and it's like Oh, oh that was like, fu- oh. That was funny this afternoon. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh I was going to ask you sort of on that note what makes a great guest on your show and what do you think is the the best show you've ever had?
5: Ooh um the sh- the show that kind of uh we I suppose a lot of us we th- we like it was it was a, a show we did with some of the guys from Monument Men so it was Matt Damon Bill Murray and Hugh Bonneville from um, Downton Abbey
4: Oh was this when uh, Matt Damon got a little bit into the sauce? They all got quite into the sauce <laughs> so, Oh
5: yeah
1: we didn't even mention that you get people snuckered before <laughs> we they don't. Uh, yeah. We is so that don't the Is that <laughs> the no, word? No, no, What's I, the British word for drunk? I think
5: there are like 12 <laughs> of them <actually. laughs> so, Sauce Sauce would be good No uh-huh. th- th- a drink is available Casey
4: It's available <laughs> But you always have a little bit of uh Van Blanc. Oh yes, are, I well I drink by yes. one.
5: Because I kinda think if I look
4: you know, if I look like I'm having a nice time, then maybe someone
5: else
1: will look you know, it I Do you ever get in the grip of the grape?
5: No. No. <laughs> I know. That's for, <laughs> I mean I do, but not on, afterwards. not on television. Yeah. Um but the the Monument Benz guys, they came on and because it was a really I can't remember there was someone else in that movie and he cancelled at the last minute and then they the, the studio was saying we're well, like Bill Murray might show up but he might not we don't know it all depends if he has a nice time at the premiere they might he might join the others da, da, da. so you know, and that idea of scripting it and rehearsing it, of course, that was all out the window. We were just, you know, we had no idea what the show was going to be till we found out who was going to rock up. And so Bill Murray did rock up. He was in a great mood. And it was, that was one of those nights where I did nothing. I just watched <laughs> the couch. No. I yeah. watched it, the couch. And,
1: and wasn't Matt Damon really good as well? What no, happened they were with ter- Matt? They
5: were all terrific. They just told their stories. They made each other. What was lovely was they made each other laugh so much. They enjoyed each other. <laughs>
3: That was that night when you were going over the script in your woolly jumper.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite woolly jumper.
5: <laughs> what I mean, to say,
2: sweater? I actually asked it to wear a woolly, woolly jumper in every scene. <laughs> is, this, oh is this the scene where I take up my woolly jumper? <laughs> So in this scene in the hot tub, am I going to be in my
1: woolly <laughs> <laughs>
2: How many guests walked off this show?
5: And I suppose that is what makes a good Did guest. Did you a good feel guest. like
1: tits on a bull at that ty- point? I've never well, heard I, that I, expression.
5: I don't know.
4: <laughs> is, is that, that useless? got be <laughs> yeah. a Katie expression. Tits on a bull? You never heard of that? You know, in the meat on a bull.
1: Well, wouldn't oh. it be
4: useful to the bull if they were nursing a baby bull? Although yeah, bulls are man. They, yeah. yeah,
1: that's it. Yeah, yeah all right. boy. Yeah. Let me. I'll, I'll work with you later. After <laughs> okay. The show, excellent. All right. <laughs> <But laughs> <anyway, laughs> I need a lot of Useless. <laughs> yeah,
4: useless. And <laughs> You're I, a
1: boy. <laughs> I, I felt I felt
5: useless and privileged at the same time. because, okay. You know, I had the best seat in the house. <laughs> can
4: I ask you something? Well, clearly I can. Um, <laughs> everybody shares a couch on your show, except yeah. Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Who came on last year? Did she have like a lot of handlers making a lot of demands? Or why did you decide to put her on alone?
5: Uh, because the only little window of opportunity we had uh, with her was, I think, 11 o'clock in the morning. So we kind of thought we don't want to do a whole show at 11 o'clock in the morning. So we have done these one-on-ones, and they are, we either start the show at the one-on-one. We did a one-on-one with Charlie Sheen. Um it
4: was in the middle of the drug thing. Yes.
5: Yeah. It was, well, it was kind of yeah. the, towards the end of that, but yes. It was a yes. long period. Yes. Yes. And, and we just kind of thought, actually, that's a lot to ask other people to it share a with. It he is. And actually,
1: he's HIV positive, so that and was we, a very serious Yeah, we wanted know, to talk about stuff like that.
5: Interview. So so we do occasionally do these uh Single interviews. So with Hillary, because we only had the eleven o'clock in the morning. So we get, we put out there saying, look, if anybody wants to come and see an interview with Hillary Clinton at eleven o'clock in the morning, feel free. So audience full, six hundred people there. Eleven o'clock in the morning. Huge audience. Yes, six hundred people. They show up. They did not see Hillary Clinton (laughs) till I think a quarter past four in the afternoon.
1: I read that. What up with that? She
5: hurt her foot.
1: No, that's right. And she was in a cast, right? Yeah,
5: she had one of those boots. Things. oh yeah and it was extraordinary because we didn't we literally did not know what was going on so they
4: didn't tell you anything they were telling us as much as they could
5: but they didn't know how badly she'd hurt her foot she didn't know what needed you know was she going to need surgery da 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 um she did rock up and she was uh, you know i think she was on pain medication by the end of the interview oh, that
1: makes for an interesting interview no, no, she a was little great. pain medication yeah. mixed with a little uh yeah. no
5: no 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 booze uh I, in fact I think I did have to drink because otherwise it would have looked weird if I didn't have wine. So it was good it was good for me that it moved so to four were both in the under afternoon. The influence yeah. way. So <laughs> but but by the end you could tell that the foot was causing her pain and she was uncomfortable. But but
1: that was I, nice that she showed up. No no
5: nicer that she showed up and and it was one of those weird things where the minute an election's over, you suddenly see who they should have been all along. You know, her interview was so great, and you kind of like, why weren't you like This.
1: Why was it so great? Because she was.
5: She was on guarded. She wasn't trying to second guess everything. Well, in this the,
1: was after the election you know, exactly. and the inauguration, no. so she could let her hair down. No, and, a and bit. she'd
5: written a book where she'd kind of put it all in there. And um, the, the book—have you read the book?
1: I haven't. Yeah, actually. I read the book. It's Ryan actually worth has. reading. I, it, I want to read it. It's on my list. It is
5: good. And what isn't it interesting? The things she can't let go of—these mean like all of it. Well, no, but like, but weird things like an interview where they didn't ask her enough questions about foreign policy and stuff, and you're like, oh, you're, I
1: think I know what interview she's talking yes. about. Yes, yeah,
5: yeah, yeah you the do. the town hall yeah. With, uh... No, yeah, no, no, uh,
1: no it was on no? the Intrepid. Yes, and that's it, the yeah. one. So you enjoyed her a lot. She was funny, and she also talked about the inauguration, and we have a clip from that interview. Let's take a listen. I mean,
3: it, it's <sighs> sort
5: of like Shakespearean. Right. You went to the inauguration, I I, and that was because you were first lady, not because you've been it, nominee.
3: Right, and, and you know, I really tried to get out of going. Um, I, you know, Because I was going, not as the uh, candidate or the opponent, but as a former first lady, because the tradition is presidents and former first ladies all show up, regardless of Republican or Democrat, to show support, continuity of, of our government. So, oh my gosh, I, I didn't know what to expect. What I wanted to have happen, was despite the kind of campaign he ran, I wanted him to rise to the occasion of being our president and being the president for everybody, not just people who supported him. That didn't happen. And so we were, we were sitting there listening. I was sitting next to George W. Bush and Bill was on my other side. And we were listening to this really dark, divisive speech that I describe as a cry from the white nationalist gut. Um, it wasn't... An outreach. It was a narrowing and a hammering of uh, what he had said before. And it's reported, so I put it in the book, it's reported that George W. Bush, at, as it ends, says that was some weird shit.
5: <laughs> <laughs> She's so likable. It's, in, in, it's in, so
1: funny to hear her just say that, right? Yeah.
5: And um, because it's just... And you just feel like if that woman had campaigned... Um, she'd have done a lot better.
4: Maybe, right. although she'd have offended a bunch of people. She'd have gotten a denial from George W. Bush if that had happened before. I mean, no, there's but a reason I think candidates are no, careful, But
1: though. But but I think she was too cautious and too yes, careful. If I agree she had let her personality show and this warm, funny yeah. side of her, I think it would have made a because big difference. It,
5: and it was something, I don't know whether it's about... Uh, because she was a woman, she felt she had to be better and try harder. But of she course. was, but, but no, but she was all about doing her homework. She was all about I'm prepared, I'm prepared. And I said, like, you're you are up against this guy who, you know, like I say, she was worried about her foreign policy. That guy couldn't point out American cities on a map, and and nobody cared.
1: She always, I think, seemed like the the prepared girl in the front of the class, always with her yes. hand up in the air. Reese Witherspoon with in the election. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Tracy Flick. Uh-huh. But, you know, I have to just say that watching that inauguration, you had to admire how stoic and poised she was because it must have really driven her crazy. And you,
4: would, you know what she would have said about that? I'm always liked best when I'm a victim. She's made this point several times because she was, you know, hurt and defeated. People are more sympathetic. The same thing happened when her husband cheated on her with Monica Lewinsky. And I think that is very gendered, actually.
5: There, there's something, you know, because people go, oh, I, you know, I, I, I hate her so much, you know, because when we announced she was going to be on, you actually saw, it was weird. I'd never encountered Russian bots before, but suddenly, <laughs>
4: suddenly you met them. Well, yeah. yeah, because I thought that's so
5: weird. And sure enough, even when the show went out, when it was going out in real time, um, the, the feed was really positive. It was real viewers in Britain watching an interview with Hillary and once The the morning came and they they were up in Russia and they'd had time. They went, oh, that happened. We better get in there. Suddenly, you'd all this negativity, but at a random time when the show wasn't on,
1: interesting anywhere. The show said, "Send in the bots." Yeah, um, (laughs) it, it was it was really
5: interesting. But also, I I do think you know the way that people hate her. You, I think, fair enough. Hate a politician, you know. Be, feel free to hate a politician, but to those people, you kind of think, is there a male politician you hate as much as you hate her? And I think the answer is no. And therefore, that has to be something to do with gender.
1: Well, do you think that Margaret Thatcher faced some of the same problems that Hillary Clinton faced? I'm sort
5: of too young. Uh, to really... Well,
1: actually, well, let's say other female politicians, even Theresa May.
5: I mean, Theresa May, definitely, I think she does. Um, Is it a
1: similar kind of misogyny in your view?
5: Certainly, I think there's that slightly, um, you know, head girl, da-da-da, but but also with her, there's almost something masochistic about it. She, it's, you know, that thing about wanting to be a victim, she... She walks into fire. I mean, she she wants it. She draws it on herself. And in a way, you know, after Brexit you know, anything could have happened.
4: Well, and anybody who was prime minister at that point would have been a victim. Well, but, I mean, also, she didn't... but also, who wants that job? You know, <laughs> like,
5: get the job after it's happened. Don't don't try to steer the country, you know, in this way Well, direction.
4: inevitably, whoever's prime minister right after Brexit is going to have an impossible time, I think. Yeah,
5: and all the boys scarpered and left it to head girl to clean up the mess. She's like the vomit monitor or something, you know. She's <laughs> she's out in the hall with a bucket <laughs> while all the boys are waiting outside in the place playground is it gone yet and uh, we'll we'll come in when it's clean
1: well we're going to take a break and when we come back god we're going to talk about brexit we're going to talk about trump we're going to talk about your childhood and how you got to where you are today (laughs) uh we're basically going to be here for five hours graham i hope you're okay okay with that so we'll be back right after this
0: Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul. Some 41, 30 seconds from Mars. Oh, and two-door cinema club.
4: And we're back. Uh, you've written about what may be called your love-love relationship with alcohol. You did go to AA for a few days at one point, but obviously it didn't stick. Anyone watching your show can know no, no. that.
5: Can, can I just say that thing about me going to AA? I, I, what happened was—is
1: that fake news?
5: Well, it's sort of <laughs> fake news. All that happened was I was staying in LA with Carrie Fisher, and I was getting a lift downtown to meet friends to go for drinks. But we had to stop because she was going to an AA meeting on the way. So, so you just dropped her off? No, no. I she was driving, oh. so I had to go in. I thought you
4: meant a lift with a. Why? No, no, no. no. Yeah. Okay. So
5: I had to go in and wait for the meeting, and then she continued the drive down. So, I, I, so I, you, ne- that's as called, close so, as you got so to I have AA. A, so I have attended AA. Uh, two or three. You went AA, to AA, but yeah, you didn't go to yeah, AA. Yeah, I didn't go to AA. <laughs> so, I swung by AA. Okay. Did you that ever isn't...
1: worry about your, your drinking at all? I do. Yeah.
5: Not so much in, in terms of addiction, more in terms of just health and what it's doing to myself. So when I turned 50, I had a big sort of, uh, we call it MOT. Uh, what does that stand for? Like a big health checky type thing. Oh, okay. MOTs is something you do to your car.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. So a tune up. Yeah, that sort of thing. So uh,
5: <laughs> I had what, this scan. And uh, you know, like they give pregnant women. By the so way,
1: you're pretty buff. I just want to point out. Oh, I
5: cycle. That's my. Okay. Anyway, so uh, so I'm I'm there, and I've got. They put that kind of weird jelly on you. And oh yeah, the, the
1: I'm familiar with it having <laughs> had two babies yeah. and many sonograms. So I'm
5: not familiar. So, it's so, so nasty. They, you're young. You're young. This will come. <laughs> I'm not that. So they so they're doing this, and he's going, and this is the such and such, and this, this is, is the spleen, spleen <laughs> and all that. Kind of and he goes, and round here is the liver, and I literally went.
1: <gasps> <laughs> <laughs>
5: I was like, what is that? Look like, like,
1: Wait a second. We can't <laughs> find it. it. It's covered yeah. with stuff.
5: <laughs> yeah, there's an old cauliflower in here. But that's about it. Um, and it was fine. It was fine. So, so you so, drink moderately? So far, good. I must say, I do, because it annoys me when people talk about not drinking. So I don't talk about cutting down. But of course, but this is in America, so I can. Uh, but yeah, I do drink a lot less than I used to.
1: And uh, what is your drink of choice? Uh, white wine, vodka, champagne,
5: anything you can see through. I feel. That Apart from bleach. And that won't
1: stain your <laughs> sofa.
5: Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Okay,
4: so this is our bridge to your background.
5: So we <laughs> oh, okay. off the now, note, is,
1: note the segue. Yes. <laughs> yeah. your You're dad, from Ireland.
4: <laughs> <laughs> wasn't going to be quite that racist. Yeah, pretty much. And
1: a little yeah. bit about your dad. So your yeah.
4: dad was a salesman for Guinness, Well done, right? uh, yes. Very okay. good.
5: You, yeah, you brought it back.
4: Yeah, we did. We yeah. did. So tell us about that. And also, you grew up in a Protestant family in a Catholic stronghold in Ireland. Before the peace deal, when you know these two groups were at each other's throats, what was that like? How did it shape you? Um- I think
5: my dad working for Guinness was just he had a job. And what's interesting is, I suppose, from an outsider's point, is it's the big Irish firm. You know, people have heard of Guinness. But really, living there, he just had a job. And off he went every day and did it and came back. The growing up Protestant in Southern Ireland...
1: In County Cork,
3: yeah. In
5: County Cork. and, And actually, we moved around a lot, but always in Southern Ireland. My mother's from Belfast up in the north. And I think... People kind of misconstrue what was going on back then. There was no trouble in the South. All the troubles were in the North. Uh, but what was odd about it was that you were kind of isolated in the community. So I remember we moved to uh, Bandon, where my mother still lives, and we moved there during the summer holidays. And we lived in a house in a street, and I played with all the other kids, and I went to the birthday parties da, 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 during the summer. The end of the summer, we went to school. I never saw those children again.
4: There were segregated schools.
5: Uh, yeah, we, we went to a Protestant school. They went to their school. And we just didn't hang out again. Not in a kind of, you know, because obviously we were allowed to play together. No one not stopped like us. Not like the
1: Sharks and the Jets. Yeah,
5: it wasn't like that. And it wasn't like kind of, you know, the Protestant parents were telling their kids not to play with the Catholic kids or the Catholic parents. It was just, you didn't go to school with them, so I don't know you anymore. And that's just the way kids are. But I think that... It was kind of isolating and made you feel slightly other, particularly because you know in Ireland Catholicism is everywhere. You know right. the the Angelus comes on the TV at six o'clock, the bells ring, and there's the Virgin Mary on the radio. You know if you're on the bus and you go past a chapel, everyone on the bus blesses themselves. You know, and it, it, except it, you, yeah, and 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 obviously those things have of, of changed enormously. I, uh, you know, I'm so proud. I going to ask the you about that. that. Yeah, I'm so proud of the country that Ireland's become. It's well, especially
1: it, with this recent historic vote uh, uh, on abortion.
5: It blows my mind that that is a country that I left 30 years ago. That it, it would have been unheard of that the place I left would have a referendum on gay marriage, have a referendum on abortion, and have an overwhelming yes vote. Not just a, a, a squeaking by, overwhelming. And that is down, I think, to young people in Ireland. They are terrific. They are fashioning a republic for themselves that's fit for purpose. It. Has room for them to live the lives they want to live in it. And they're not being told what to do by the church anymore. And it is the government of the people rather than the government of, of Rome. And, and it's it's
1: terrific. When you were growing up, I know that your mom said, as even as a four-year-old, that you might be faced with bullying. And she gave you sort of coping skills about how to deal with that, which was ignore the bullies, just don't validate anything they they've said, and it seems to me that lesson has kind of stayed with you your entire life.
5: Yeah, it is very good advice in uh, stopping bullying. In the you know, if bullies want a reaction. If you don't react, they, they sort of they they must get bored. However, I think it does make you overall slightly emotionally disengaged in oh. life. I mean, what advice would you give to your kids if they were being bullied? Or did you prep them for school? Did you give? Them, or did you just got to send them to a very nice school where that wasn't going to happen? No, no, no.
1: I mean, <laughs> it I think, at a, very I mean, nice schools. Believe a, me. everything. I think things happen. and I think my daughter was actually bullied in high school. And uh, I don't know. I think every situation is different, you know, in terms of how you handle it. And yeah. you just hope you equip them with enough sort of inner strength that they're able to forge ahead. But yeah. So don't you guys think? I think.
5: Like, bullying is so going to be the next Me Too. The amount of bullying in the workplace that goes on, like, really. Or
4: online.
5: Oh, That, too. But Well, don't
4: worry. Melania Trump's going to handle all that. Yeah, yeah.
5: Be better. (laughs) Be best, (laughs) actually. Michelle
4: Obama's was be better. And so she cribbed for Michelle (laughs) like a third or a fourth time with be best. (laughs)
5: <laughs> Did she rock up today? Did she? Because we're doing this earlier in the week. Did she? Has she seen the light of day now, Melania? Yeah, she
1: actually is having a public appearance at a veterans event. But it? I read that it was going to happen, so uh, I don't it's know. still early in As the of U.S. As of this recording, we yeah. are unsure whether it has <laughs> But it's, uh, it is apparently she is going to make an appearance. That is such a an interesting thing, and who knows, you know. Everything becomes a huge scandal, like, no matter what, it seems to I me. I think he
4: enjoys this. We were discussing earlier. I think he enjoys this stuff because inevitably it's a distraction from the yeah. last scandal, which happened 20 minutes ago, which he doesn't want to talk about.
5: And also, these scandals don't matter. So let's talk about Melania missing for days rather than talk about the sanctions or the the trade deals and all that sort of stuff. Or Russia. Yeah. 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 Um, So, yeah.
1: You know, we talk about Trump 24-7, so back to you. you, when, When did you get a sense that, you did you know sort of at what age did you feel like, I'm gay?
5: You know, now this sounds like a joke, but it's not. But a part of it, I think part of my realization was slow. Partly, I it was I was a late sort of to, for a twig, and it was <laughs> to do with being Protestant in Southern Ireland. If you talk to a lot of gay people who grew up in kind of rural communities, they always felt say they felt like a foreigner. They felt sort of odd. You know, these aren't they, my people. Yeah, they just felt slightly out of step with everyone. And so you can imagine that if you actually can name that growing up, you can go, oh, well, I feel like that because I'm a Protestant. I, I am oh. slightly out of step with everybody. Um, it was only when I left Ireland, I realized, oh, that those feelings weren't Protestant feelings.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different feeling. That was
5: a different feeling,
4: yeah. So you, you told The Guardian, and I was really struck by this quote, I don't think anyone wants to be gay. For a cosmopolitan child living in London on the right side of town, maybe it wouldn't cost them a second thought. But when I was growing up, it did cost me a second thought. I thought Thought I'd be a social pariah. So, did it take you a while to kind of accept who you are?
5: And um, yes, you know, I hope the world is different for most uh, young people now, and certainly that's the world we want to live in. My worry is that a lot of people still don't live in that world. The trouble is, I've sort of been out of it for so long. You know, living in London is, you know. It just doesn't cross your mind. And you forget how big the world is. But I have to say, when I went back to my old school for a, you know... To, Reunion? Um, yeah, well, no, to give out prizes oh, oh, right, right. Like a prize day type thing. You know, I met these kids. and Not only were they, you know, because they role always kind of obviously gay kids at your school, but these ones were out. And that blew my mind.
1: Well, I think to your earlier point about young people, you know, my daughters are 26 and 22 and... You know, high schools all over the country have LGBTQ clubs. Uh, It is just a very different atmosphere where people are encouraged to express their individuality in a a really positive way. And I think it's wonderful. But, you know, what happened to you, though, and I guess when you were in college— you almost died, Graham. Katie, I did. Uh, no, but, I know but, but, you're but, but, making but, fun of it uh, now, no, no. but I read about it and I was really upset.
5: Well, I was mugged. I was mugged. Uh, but
1: not just mugged.
5: No, I was stabbed as part of the mugging. I, I must say, I don't remember the stabbing. It was one of those things. I thought I was just mugged. And uh, they ran off and I was. You lying.
4: literally thought you were just. Uh, mugged and you were stabbed and beaten and all the rest. Well, they kind of hit me over the
5: head with a thing and I, it sounded like a kind of bit of um, like plastic piping and then you realize, oh no, that is like a, a wooden thing but the plastic piping bit is the noise your skull makes. Oh my God. <laughs> um, and this was hit.
1: here in London? Yeah.
5: And we're uh, <laughs> playing into Trump's narrative now. It's so dangerous here. <laughs> um,
4: <laughs> <It's> marauding immigrants did it to you, yeah. So I... Uh,
5: they then, you know, they ran through my bag and they left me on the on the pavement and uh, ran off, and I watched them go. And then oh, I get up now, and I when I went to get up, I felt like I was peeling myself off the ground, and that's that's odd. And I looked down, and you know, I'm just soaked with blood, and. It, you lost half of your blood. I did, in the end, lost half of my blood. But what what was kind of, what I liked, I was at drama school at the time and we were doing, you know, Shakespeare. You know the Shakespeare people always go, you know, I've been run through uh, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. And you always thought, oh, well, that's because they'd know, you know, they'd know special effects back in Shakespeare. Style. So people had to say, I've been run through. But in fact... It's what you say because you're so surprised because your adrenaline is up, so you didn't you don't feel it. It's like John Lennon saying, "I've been shot," you know, and you look down and you go, "Oh, I've been stabbed." I, that sounds and, like Monty Python. No, huh? and you yeah. and you have to say it out loud because it's so astonishing. And then I I sort of wandered around a bit, and then a very nice old couple rang an ambulance and. Uh, they saved my life.
1: Why did they do this to you? Do you think? Do you think it was a random thing?
5: Oh, totally random. Uh, yeah, I was, I was.
1: It wasn't. It had nothing to do with homophobia or anything like that. I
5: don't think so. I mean, I was just by myself. I was wearing a very nice suit, but uh, <laughs> I was going to say
1: I, I was wearing a dress, and what's the big deal? Yeah,
4: uh, I was. The suit was too well cut and well made. Yeah,
5: <laughs> no, it was a nice hand suit. Um, right, ruined, of course, ruined. <laughs>
4: and that's the and tragedy you're so mad of all. At yes.
1: it <laughs> Well, after after uh, you got out of school, you actually dropped out of school, right? Ultimately, oh, when I, you dropped out. I, was this after or before you joined the commune in San Francisco? Okay, what's the timeline? <laughs> the timeline is the
5: timeline is I went to University College Cork. I did two years there, and then <clears throat> for me, then I went to America for a year on one of those. In Ireland, we get these J one visas where you mm-hmm. can go and work for uh, things. So I did that, uh, waiting tables, and I had. Uh, I think it was a trailways. Are they gone now, trailways?
1: No buses. Yeah,
5: they're, yeah. They're, yeah. Brian
1: hasn't ever ridden. One, but they still that exist. is still okay. not true. <laughs> yeah,
5: uh, so I had, tr- I had a seven days Rambler ticket for Trailways. The idea was, I was going to land in New York, and I was going to get to LA. But in fact, it ran out in San Francisco, um, so I couldn't get to LA. But actually, that was quite good because I had some phone numbers there. And with this one woman, she gave me the number for this commune. It was called Stardance. I don't know what it's called now. It's changed its name now, Stardance. And I was sort of an economic hippie. It was just, it was cheap rent. So I just, I I lived in this commune. So I was never really part, I mean, I was part of the commune. I did do everything with them. How long Um, did you stay there? uh, Nearly a year. Um, And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, Yeah.
1: But you didn't love it that much because you came back to London. It was never my
5: life. I, I always felt... I couldn't really start my life in in America.
4: And then you came back here, and you kind of struggled for a while to find work to get the sorts of parts you wanted. You wanted to be a comedian. And at some point, you sort of wondered, am I a waiter trying to become an actor and a comedian? Um, Or am I just destined to do what I'm doing now? Well, it's one of those
5: weird things that I think, you know, talking to people on my show, there are certain common threads in people's success stories. And one of the common threads is they are stupid, like they made really terrible choices that you would not recommend anyone make, but it turned out for them. You know what I mean? So they're on the couch. So they're on the couch that's great. But there must be loads of people who are not on a couch who are struggling somewhere thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't have dropped out of school. Maybe I shouldn't have moved to LA with nothing but $50 or maybe I shouldn't have. Ta-. But we only hear the success stories. Those are the people. So I was one of those people. If I'd been my friend, I would have said, give it up. Up, Just stop already. (laughs) This is pathetic. It's painful to watch you. Get a real job. It is clearly never going to happen for you. Um, But
1: you hung in there. I hung in there because I had no plan B. And I think that's often... uh, That's good advice to people. Don't have a plan B. Well... What did you say again? That's no, like, I think yeah. it's it's because you obviously always hear the opposite. Yeah, but I had no plan B. It
5: wasn't like I had a plan A. I just had the plan. And when it wasn't working, I had no option but just to continue with the terrible plan. But happily I, I did start I started getting bits of radio work and then bits of T V work. And my the, the the thing that makes me happy is that my dad lived to see me have some success. That's right. Nice. So he didn't go to his grave worrying about me, uh which would have just been that's the most horrible thing to do to your dad. Uh, was to you know let him die, thinking what the hell's going to happen to that loser. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> is your
1: is your mom still alive?
5: Yeah, no, she's still with us. She's hanging in there.
1: Oh, that's uh, nice. Tough as old boots.
5: You're yeah. lucky.
1: You're yeah. lucky because it's hard when you lose both parents. You know, you, there's you feel so untethered. I well, think. Well, there's no good time, is there? Yeah. There's no,
5: you're
4: never ready.
1: <laughs> and my mom was 91 and my dad was 90, and I still, you know, just. I'm so sad that they're gone. Yeah, yeah, I hate
4: it when people say, oh, well, they lived a long life. and As though you want to put them out to pasture just because they're 90. You no, know? but
1: I guess I think that on the other hand, you are lucky to have That's somebody true. as long yes. as, as that. Okay, yeah. I've got to tee you up for this.
4: Okay. I've got to tee you up for this. So one of your jobs in 2005— is you moved to the BBC with a show called... How do you solve a problem like
1: Maria?
5: Beautiful. Our, our guests
1: get mad. No, take I guess. a cloud and pin it down. How do you find a word that means Maria? A flibberty gibbet, a will of a wisp. A clown. And she's doing this for memory. Our <laughs>
4: listeners get really mad when she doesn't
1: sing for an episode. I don't I can't sing but I'd love to sing. No, you're so good at singing. No, not really. But but tell me about that show because it was with Andrew Lloyd Webber. He was searching for Maria yep. because he was going to do the stage version of Sound of Music. Yeah.
5: He'd acquired the rights and he was going to put it on in the West End. And he came up with this genius idea. Uh, how do you solve a problem like Maria? I think it was one of those shows where the name came up first.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but it's so clever.
5: It's clever. And they, they did a casting show. and So I,
1: what was your role in it?
5: I'd literally go, uh, up next, it's blah, 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 blah. Oh, so you were like
1: the Ryan Seacrest Yeah, that uh, show? Yeah,
5: that's what I was doing. Yeah. So it was uh, so easy. I couldn't have been an easier job. Um, was
1: it a massive hit?
5: It was it did really well. We did a bunch of them. We we uh, cast Maria, then we did Joseph for uh, Joseph um, and the Dreamcoat. Yeah. We did Nancy from Oliver did uh, you say,
1: Where is Nancy? No, we didn't
5: do that. No, what was that one called? <laughs> that, was called, no, that one was called, I do anything. <laughs> for you. Yeah, yeah. Dear, and...
1: anything
4: for you. Okay.
5: Mean okay. I think we Everything,
1: everything this box. to me. Okay, sorry. Other, I'm really in a were... show tune mood.
4: <laughs> She's also <laughs> heavily jet lagged.
5: You're so close to the <laughs> West End. I here. am
1: heavily jet lagged, <laughs> so I apologize. But anyway, so how? What? that sounds like so much fun. It was.
5: Uh, hooten and I love Andrew working with Andrew is just terrific have, have you guys interviewed him
1: you know what I no think we I'd tried
4: th- to for this trip
1: and yeah. he was out of town yeah he blew us off Graham oh, so maybe you Saul's. can hook us up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but is he great
4: I really like him because he's like
5: a wonderful teacher because he is so passionate and enthusiastic about certain things like art like musicals like music and when he talks to you, you ca- it's infectious. So that's what I mean. He's like a great teacher. So I'm not that interested in any of those things. But when I'm with him, I am. Yeah. And and actually, the the love of musicals has sort of stayed with me. And I now I do go to see all the new musicals and you know have opinions. Like I know what I'm talking like about. Like School of Rock. I haven't seen that. Uh,
1: you haven't? Because that's Andrew Lloyd Webber <laughs> <I know>. too. <laughs> no, uh, not look, my favorite Andrew no, Lloyd Webber No. When I musical.
5: when I met when I met him, he would he would do th- he would refer to scenes from Phantom of the Opera, and I would just have to smile and nod because I'd never seen Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're as rich as he is, he's got every right to assume that everyone on planet Earth has paid to see it. Well, <laughs> have, you, have you still <laughs> have not, not seen it? I did vi- finally see it with uh, my mother. My mother wanted to see it, so I, I, I took her. And it, was, it seemed to be mostly populated uh, by Japanese tourists, the audience. Oh, really? It was extraordinary. It was proper tourist audience. You, like, wow,
4: who are you?
1: Well, yeah. he's enormously talented. So you Incredible. Gotta Absolutely I mean. incredible. Okay, so we can't just
4: say nice things. Who's a celebrity you really don't like? <sighs> Oh, um,
1: you know what? I think
5: you guys will know this. Most, I think, most people are nice in themselves. It's the people around them that are. That
1: is so true. Vile. I interviewed Gal Gadot recently. Oh yeah, and I loved her, and I wanted to talk to her because she was in the Israeli army. She has a very interesting backstory, not just as Wonder Woman. Her publicist was such a jerk and kept cutting me off, and I was like. What are you doing? She's an intelligent woman. She can have a smart conversation. I hate that. But yeah. do you think? I, mean, I guess you'd... I won't be interviewing Kelton again.
4: <laughs> so let's talk about a well-known person that Katie and I both like a lot: uh, Judy Dench and Hater. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> we have a clip.
5: We have a clip. We want to play. And now, Judy, do you still go clubbing? Do you still cut a rug? <laughs>
2: You know I've never ever been to a club in my life. What a uh, terrible yes, Judy, quite. Judy Dent. <laughs> Judy, Judy Dent. Sorry for me. You lie like a rug. Oh, do I?
5: Yes. <laughs>
2: never been to a nightclub.
5: Yes, you have. Yeah. I bumped into you Did in you? heaven. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely true. No. Fag hug. They took us in.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they, took, they took us in through the back door. Wouldn't they? Right. <laughs> Story of her life. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> no. That is the only time. Is that really the only time? Yes.
5: Really? Did you not have a nice night? You looked like you were having fun. <laughs>
3: yes, I think we did.
5: <laughs> I'm, gay I'm gay
2: and I've never been to heaven. <laughs>
1: I'm never getting there either, but I'm. Yeah. That's, that's astonishing.
2: Why were you there, for God's sake? That's a good question, too. <laughs> <laughs>
5: I know the answer to that as well. What was the question? Was you, you were there to see Cher. What? You were there to see Cher, the
1: singer Cher.
4: Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And of course, it was all the more fun because Elton John was with Judy Dench. Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. Exactly, because they're kind of egging each other on and kind of enjoying each other. Yeah. Uh, no, she was in there, uh, I think it was around Tea with Mussolini time. And... Uh, they Cher was premiering her new single at the time, Believe.
1: Do you believe in love after love? Surely,
5: surely the engineer should have picked up on that and immediately gone for the vocoder.
1: Fix that in post, as they say.
5: Uh, and it was a very odd night, because Heaven is this big gay night. It was a big gay nightclub uh, in London. And, uh, you know, so obviously we're there to see Cher, but you don't expect to see <laughs> Judy Dench, and you don't expect Sir Ben Kingsley to wander <laughs> on and introduce Cher.
4: <laughs> <laughs> audience, Random. audience was just like, who what the,
1: who the hell is, is he?
4: Why is Gandhi here? Yeah. Why is he here? Maybe Gandhi's gay. I don't know. <laughs> can you explain the big red chair on your show for people who haven't seen it?
5: I can. The big red chair. Um, it, Not
4: the big red chair. The big red chair, chair, yes, chair. Yes, to be clear. Chair.
5: Uh, The Big Red Chair is a thing we do at the end of the show. It's a segment where we get audience members in and they basically try to tell their great story, their one good anecdote. You know, if you're all down, you're in the bar and everyone's swapping stories, oh, this thing happened to me, this thing happened to me. You're a great one. If you're at all boring, there's a big lever and we flip it. And you're gone. And it came about because, and again, this is very British where it came from. There was a a comic called Ronnie Corbett. And he used to uh, tell these very long rambling stories as part of his show. He's part of the two Ronnies. They're a very famous double act here. And he would tell these long rambling stories about, and I said to the producer, blah, 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 blah. And when he was a guest, we thought, oh, how funny. We'll get audience members to try to tell stories and then we'll have a lever and da, da, da great, just a one-off thing. So it was done. And then afterwards, the line producer came to us and said, do you know how much that chair cost? <laughs> and we were like, no. Anyway, we needed to use it again. because It was quite spendy. So, uh, so, so we came up with this idea. And now we use it every week. So in fact, it was money well spent, ladies and gentlemen.
0: That happens. Then one thing leads to another.
5: <laughs> In the dog basket, and he gets injured anyway. Um, okay, there are so many bits of this story missing. So you're having sex in a dog basket? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm absolutely not. Just one thing led to war. another. What else does that mean? Pull the lever, pull the lever, Graham. I'm going to pull the lever.
1: And and so basically is there an ejection seat?
5: It kind of flips the it just there's Does a Does
1: anybody get hurt?
5: No. No, in fact it looks more shocking on the screen when you actually when you if you do it it's quite a, a shallow little dip. It's not bad at all.
1: We're going to wrap things up pretty soon. Of course, we could talk to you all day, but we know you probably have a life and things to do. <laughs> but you were on Stephen Colbert and he asked you uh, about Trump and how people across the pond view him. So, let's listen to that.
4: Uh, you're not the most political, but you guys talk about Trump
5: over there. At well, all? you know, word of your political situation has reached us. Um, <laughs> uh,
4: Cross the pond. Yeah. Cross the pond. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
5: It's a uh, we, you know, it's reported under international news, uh, um, uh-huh. and uh, we get it. And. We do do, I mean, why not do jokes? I mean, it's like shooting fish in a barrel, making fun of him. So, uh, so you know, all these useless comedy writers are now like, I can do these jokes. Yes, uh, exactly. B- because he writes them yes. for you. The fish happens <laughs> to be uh, the greatest democracy in the world, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, yeah. and you're shooting him with a gun, but he's got a bomb. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's worrisome. Um, the other thing that and maybe people can explain is we're all aware that his, you know, his approval ratings are rock bottom. Terrible. We're, never, never, we're,
4: never been worse. Yeah.
5: But why aren't they zero? That's what I, I, like, who, who are those people? Who are those people? I get the, I get that you were a fan of The Apprentice. You thought, mm-hmm. oh, he's straight talking. He's got to shake things up. But at this point, yeah. who is going, no, no, he's doing a good job. Yeah, who, yeah. like, And that's a thing of it's the a, country. I think a it's a, a sunk
4: cost. Like, people have already invested so much in him that they're just going to ride the bomb all the way down. Wow! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you. Uh, Good luck, you have- everyone.
5: <laughs> and that joke hasn't aged well, has it? Because his <laughs> approval ratings are quite are almost normal now.
1: Well, well like forty percent. What, what do people here think of of Donald Trump? I know obviously you can't say for all all Brits, but in general, what's the sentiment? And is it does it fall along the lines of Brexit? Um,
5: I think there is there is certainly some support from me here, you know, because we do jokes about him on the show and every week you get some, you know, tweets about, oh, you know, stop making fun of him, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I think overall, people... On one level, they find him funny, but on another level, you know, they find him really worrying, particularly because of Brexit. You know, we were supposed to have this special relationship with America. And one of the things we were told was after Brexit, we'll have great trade deals uh, with
1: America. That doesn't
5: look that likely now.
1: Uh- <laughs> Brexit happened, I was like, dun, dun, dun. It, it, yeah. I thought, wow, I just felt that portended a specific outcome in the U.S. And so
4: did Bill yeah. Clinton, by the way, and he warned a bunch of the Hillary people, and I, I thought they just didn't take it seriously.
1: Yeah, the great thing about you
5: is you can vote Trump out. We've done Brexit. Brexit's happening. <laughs> like, Brexit's forever. So there's
1: no turning back.
5: There's, well, you know, hope springs eternal. But no, they seem absolutely determined that this is going to happen.
4: Do you think there ought to be a second referendum? You know what? Uh,
5: apparently, I'm told that if there was, it would win again because now people feel that the EU is bullying us. Um, so now there's more anti-Europe feeling rather than actually they're negotiating a deal. <laughs> and it turns out they're really good at it. And they used to negotiate deals for us, but now they don't. Uh, but yeah, they, they think they're bullying us. So I think... Brexit would probably win again.
1: There are a lot of parallels, though, when you think about it, between what sort of the, the mood of the countries, both in, in the U.S. and in Great Britain, and this anti-intellectualism, which I think has has surfaced in both countries, this, this kind of distrust of experts. There's a book called The Death of Expertise. I know that the education minister, who's now the minister of the environment, I'm told – not that I knew that. But someone, Gove, yeah, yeah. What did he say? We have too oh, yeah, many experts. They, someone, was,
5: someone was bringing up a, a point saying, this you know, ex- was before the yeah, vote. B- basically experts are, are predicting that, you know, the economy will tank and, da, 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 and you go, well, I think this country's had enough of experts. And I really, really, that's that's your takeaway. But also in this country, and I'm sure it's the same in America where the results of the election has been forgotten. So actually, the people who want to remain are an intellectual elite. That was 48% of the population. If that's an intellectual elite, we're doing really well. And the same in America, you know, Hillary did win the popular vote, but somehow that's been forgotten now. It's as if, you know, the great, you know, the great working man and woman of America voted for Trump. And it's like, no, (laughs) some did, but an awful lot voted for Hillary.
4: So I know we have to wrap, but just a couple more things. Okay, go.
1: You said Uh after splitting up with your boyfriend on the radio, you said you'd prefer to live alone for the rest of your life. Quote: "Than live with towels that were folded incorrectly."
3: (laughs) (laughs) Are you a neat
5: freak? No, no, no. But honestly, when I when I do uh, book events, and and that was one particular book, when that was when I said that, it used to get this huge round of applause from people who. Basically hate cohabiting. People cohabit because they have to, because it makes economic sense. I don't think anyone wants to live with anybody.
1: I I disagree. I don't think that's true. I, I love living like with thi- my husband. People like things the way they like
5: things. Like, that's you know, well, true. that's true. You do have to compromise. Yeah, see, there you go. So, you know, it's like the toilet paper's wrong; hung the wrong way around. It's kind of, the I bread mean, doesn't go there. <laughs> uh, you know, and also my problem is, of course, I'm old. So the longer you leave it, the worse this gets. So, so you know, are you
1: interested in, in romance at this point? Always interested. Are, yes, are you on Tinder?
5: Yeah. Uh, no, no, I was. But are you not, on Grindr? Was, no, no I, c- I couldn't do Grindr because of, uh, you know, well, just what it is. And that I I. I <laughs> (laughs) for the BBC. But I felt felt Tinder was socially acceptable. I could do Tinder. Um, But But no more? uh, But no more. Okay, you've mentioned your books a couple of times. Yeah, we
1: want to give you a plug because you have a new book coming out in the fall.
5: Well, I don't know. I've got a book that's still for sale in America called Holding. It's a novel published by Atria, I think Uh A-T-R-I-A. But there's a new book being published here in the fall, and hopefully someone in America will buy it. It's called A Keeper and
1: and it's fiction
5: it's another novel yeah this is my this is my new thing uh, when I turned 50 I decided write enough I've taught you know I've always wanted to write a novel and you know I just you know those people who say oh I'd love to be able to play the piano think there is a way you could do that <laughs> you could just learn and shut up about it so uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, so that's that was my approach to novel writing I thought enough talking about it do it so well, this think, is my second one
4: I think you surprised people a bit with the first one that it was very soulful and deep and thoughtful. And it was in, in some ways, you know, the antithesis of parts of your show, I would say. You know, it's certainly not the
5: telly show at all. But I, but I think that's, you know, we've all got different facets. We're all facets. multifaceted.
1: Yeah, and sure, people yeah. seem to want to put you in a box. And then, you know, if you deviate from their expectations, they freak out. Yeah,
5: but then we do put ourselves in boxes, you know, yeah, and, you know if it, particularly at work, I think you want people to treat you in a certain way and assume you are a certain person. Um, you know, and then at the weekend, woo <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, and 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 in closing, speaking of the weekend, I read this quote of yours, and I really liked it, Graham, because I think it's good advice for everyone. You said you're talking about relationships. And you said, I failed all my relationship exams, And yes, it's a different life, but I'm still living. And then you go on to say, You're far better off finding ways to enjoy the life you're living than mourning the life you're not, which is a double whammy of unhappiness. And if you want someone to share your life, well, no one wants to share a miserable life. Look like you're having fun and someone might want to join the parade. A funeral cortege, not so much.
5: I'm so wise.
1: <laughs> Actually, I really like that because I think you know it's sort of a, a, a variation on the secret. You know, what you put out, you'll get in return, yeah. and I think that's true. And I think happy people attract other happy people, yeah. right?
5: When well, I, mean, I, I, get, I get, you know, I do a advice column for the Telegraph. Here. Oh, that's and, right. And then, um, and
1: agony I, uncle. Yeah, and I
5: get so many letters from those people. You know, being miserable and da da da. da you know, I'm, I really, I really want to meet someone. It's like the hell wants to go out with you? You know, you have no, you know, you are just, you're literally sitting in your house waiting to meet someone. That doesn't seem like a party anyone wants to go to. So, uh, yeah, get out, live a bit.
1: When you think about your future, do you want to keep doing this as long as possible? Do you see stopping the show and devoting your time to writing? Um, I'd like to, I love
5: my job. I like working. I suppose what I ultimately I'd like to work less but not stop. People I know who've stopped working go a bit cuckoo because I just think it gives you too much time in your hands and they I don't oh, think I could do that no they overanalyze I, I agree with that completely. yeah
1: no they, they, no, they about <laughs> me <Yeah>.
5: yes <laughs> no they obsess they obsess about minutia and stupid things and, so I do want to keep working but I would like to to write more so it's about cutting back not stopping
1: well, right. I am so happy to meet you. This is so fun, and not surprisingly, you're you're pretty good at chatting. Well, I like chatting. You <laughs> said <laughs> a little experience. Yeah. Thank you, Graham, for coming on our podcast. Thank you. Thank you. That does it for our first podcast episode from London. We'll be back this month with more conversations from our trip across the pond.
4: And our huge thanks to the BBC folks who helped bring us to the UK. That's Fiona Campbell, Jeremy Skeet, and Katie Spedding. Thanks also to the
1: team at the BBC's Millbank Studios for recording today's episode. And Tom in particular. Thank you, Tom. I want to give a shout out to our team at Stitcher. That's Gianna Palmer, Nora Ritchie, and Jared O'Connell. And thank you as always to my team. Team at Katie Kirk Media, Beth Demaz, Emily Bina, and Allison Bresnick. And one more
4: reminder to please subscribe to our show. If you do, you'll never miss an episode. It also helps us to get the word out. Thanks also to everyone who has left us reviews on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out.
1: Remember, we love hearing from you, especially Brian. It makes his day. and He <laughs> walks around with his chest a little puffier than usual. Which you is can, saying <laughs> something. You can email us at comments at or call and leave a message at 929-224-4637. Operators are standing by. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Cheerio.
2: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
0: is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This